from San Diego, sitting back there with AJ. God bless you. Glad that you're here. And, uh, I'm not going to make you nervous or tease you, but uh, he's here for a special reason, to see somebody special. Amen. Not AJ, no. Somebody else. Praise God. You'll figure it out. Put, do the math. Amen. First Peter chapter number 2 and verse 9, I hasten to the reading of the text. And uh, we're grateful for God's presence. H- haven't the last few days just been beautiful? Perfect weather, lovely. Every day I wake up and I look at the beautiful weather. I look at my family and I say, man, look at the blessings of God on my life. And I'm sure you could do the same thing. You know, we also could look at all the things that aren't the way we want them to be and complain. But instead, I choose to look at all the blessings of God and say, thank you, Jesus, for your blessings that are new every day. Amen. Praise the Lord. There is a a popular uh, bumper sticker that a lot of people have on their car. And um, I remember the first time that I saw it, I didn't know what in the world it was. And uh, it's on the front of the bulletin. Maybe you've seen this before. Anybody seen this before? And I didn't know what it was, but uh, then I saw one that had the words written on it, not of uh, this world, not of this world. And uh, I felt uh, this week uh, seeking direction for what to minister to Life Church today. This is the theme that I felt to minister along. So if you have your Bibles in First Peter chapter number 2 and verse 9, it kind of shares with us a little bit of the uniqueness of our position as spirit-filled believers, born-again believers, that God has placed us in this world to make a difference. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar or unique or even strange people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would uh, favor and anoint, Lord God, the next few moments as you've laid this upon my heart to minister. Lord Jesus, uh, your word, your heartbeat, your feelings, Lord Jesus, and cause us to grasp them, take hold of them, and fall in love, Jesus, with the principles of your word. You're worthy, Lord God, of our praise. You're worthy of our dedication. You're worthy of our commitment. And we want to do, Lord God, what you direct us to do. God bless this church as we move forward under the auspices of your holy will. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen. God bless you and you may be seated. Not of this world. Now I think uh, all of us can agree that we are in this world. But the word of God makes it clear that we are not to be of this world. And there is a slight deviation based on a preposition. In versus of. I remember teaching 8th grade English as a public school teacher some 12, 11, 12, 13 years ago and teaching the children how to remember prepositions. Some of you may remember this. 
prepositions are words that describe one's relationship to another spatially. So the way that we would help young people remember that is to use the phrase the fence. So you could be on the fence, you could be over the fence, you could be through the fence, you could be by the fence, you could be of the fence, you could be on, so on and so forth. These are the prepositions. And so the preposition here in the world is something that we cannot change. We live in this present world. And uh, I know there are certain religious groups that try to take this passage to mean that we're not to be living in the world and they create communes and seek to separate themselves spatially from the world, uh, oftentimes to a horrific end, if you remember the story in Waco, Texas, uh, because God never called for us to not be in the world, but we see this phrase of the world in Scripture very, very often, especially the words of Jesus. He said, I am not of this world. If I were of this world, I would do this, or my servants are not of this world. And, uh, of course, it speaks of the God of this world, which is Satan himself. And uh, there is uh, many references to of this world. So you can be in the world, but not be of the world. And God's plan is for us to continue to live in this world, but not be a product of this world. So you don't have to isolate yourself uh, and uh, you don't have to imitate the world. But there is a possibility to live in this world and not take on the character, the fragrance, the personality, the priorities, the mindset, the attitude of this world. Just like you can take a fish and put him in the ocean, salt water, for his entire life. And then you take the fish out of the ocean, you skin the fish, you put the the the, the, the flesh of that fish in the fire, and, and, and in the frying pan, you bring it out to the table, and you set it before you, and what's the first thing you grab? You grab a salt shaker to, to salt the, the, the flesh to make it savory, because interestingly enough, that fish was able to live a lifetime in the salty waters of the ocean and never take on the character or the fragrance or the taste of that ocean because the Creator insulated him in such a way that he could be in the ocean but not of the ocean. And God's will is for us to, as we live in this world, not be of this world. Now I want to share with you today uh, a little bit about... Um, uh, an individual the Bible talks a lot about who is a prototype of a believer who was called out of his current location spatially, but he's representative of the call that God puts upon us to move out of our current position uh, attitudinally, uh, priority-wise, to no longer be a part of this world's mentality and mindset. That man is Abraham. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be of grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham, this figure in scripture that uh, the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, 
the Muslim faith all look back to as a father. And the Bible lets us know that those of us that are a part of the household of the redeemed, that are believers in the faith of Jesus Christ, rather than obedience to the jot and tittle of the law of Moses, are under the uh, uh, influence or the fatherhood of the progenity of this man called Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody remember that song? He is the father of us all. So in what sense is Abraham the father of us all? We know genetically he is not the father of us all, but through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted unto him for righteousness even before the dispensation of grace. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself that is a gift of God. Faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross like we taught about last week. This same faith that we have, we learn from Father Abraham who believed and obeyed the words of God. And even though he was an imperfect vessel, it was counted unto him for righteousness. As such, he is the father of us all as the father of the faithful. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, if you are believing that by your faith you're going to be saved, you're a child of Abraham as well. A child of Abraham as well. Now, one thing that you will notice about the life of Abraham is that he was just a normal guy, seemingly, who God called. God spoke to him. God impressed him to take a journey. God laid it on his heart to step out of the norm, to follow after him. And I want you to understand that if you are a part of Abraham's lineage faith-wise, it all starts with a call from God. I'm not a Christian today because my parents were Christians. I'm not a Christian today because it was the convenient thing to do. I'm not a Christian today just because my social group were Christians. But if I'm really a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a believer today because God called me. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at that last day. This is one thing that sometimes is lost on us, is that we didn't choose God, but he chose us. Man, we didn't decide to embrace him, but he reached out to us. He, he sent us love letters. He began to flirt with us, if you would, to pull us in, to fall in love with him. He called us. We didn't come to Jesus. You can't come to Jesus. You're dead. The Bible says in trespasses and sin, prior to regeneration, you're a dead man or a dead woman. And it takes the, the, the call of God or the drawing of God to, upon your heart. Amen. No one can come to God, save the Father, draw him, or the Spirit of God begins to draw him. And then something begins to stir. Something inside of us begins to say, I want him. I want this. There's something different that I have a desire for. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And there is a call of God that goes forth and it arrests people it apprehends people it takes hold of them and they're just doing their thing and trying to earn a living and trying to get their career off the ground and trying to get a family established and trying to get a house paid for and trying to get good wheels to drive and all of a sudden the word of God the spirit of God begins to draw them begins to get their attention and all of a sudden while they were walking this way something gets their attention and begins to draw them and I'm so glad that God spoke to my 
my heart. I'm so glad that God got a hold of me. If it were not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. Amen. I, I, I couldn't be here just because I'm a good person. I couldn't be here just because I'm nice, because I treat people well. The only way I have an opportunity to be a part of this kingdom of God is that God called me. I want you to give thanks to the Lord for His mercy and grace in calling you. But the, God, the call of God came upon Abraham while he was living in a place called the Ur of Chaldees, which is uh, <clears throat> along the Persian Gulf, close, if not right, and many people believe in modern-day Iraq. It's where Abraham's family was from, where he was living. When the call of God came upon him and he left where he was raised, this pagan land of uh, uh, idol worship and and belief in multiple gods, God called, God spoke to his heart, and uh, uh, by grace and mercy, God called Abraham. And the Lord said in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, if you didn't catch it there, this was a prophecy that from Abraham's seed, one would be born who would bless all ethnicities. And we understand that that's Jesus Christ, right? It was a promise of a universal blessing on all types of people. But God said, before this can happen, I need you to obey me, Abraham. And I know you're just doing your job and you're just living your life and you're just doing whatever you know to do. But all of a sudden, God spoke to him and the Spirit of God moved upon him. And God said, get out of your country. Get out away from your family. Go to the land that I will show you. And if you do this, I will make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and I'll bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you. And in you all All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God doesn't come to Abraham and explain to him why he needs to get out of his country and why he needs to separate himself from his kindred, why he needs to separate. And maybe we could try to read between the lines and discern why that God understood that there was a lineage of of polytheism and paganism and the influence of that in his family would continue to keep him under that uh, uh, mindset and frame of mind. But God didn't explain the why to Abraham. He just told him what to do. He said, get out of your country, get away from your kindred, but then he joined his commandment with a promise. Uh, He said, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. If you do this, I'm going to make your name great. Uh, I'm going to give nations out of you. Amen. I'm going to uh, multiply your seed throughout the year. Now, the thing you've got to understand is in the meantime, Abraham and Sarah are barren. And so Abraham's faced with this decision. Do I stay where I am? where I'm comfortable, amongst the people that I'm comfortable with, in the environment that is natural to me, and my name stays the same. I'm just one name in a list of begats. I have my kids. 
Or maybe I don't have my kids because my wife's barren. Maybe my name ends with me. And so he had to make a decision. Do I step out, not with a lot of reason, not with a lot of understanding, but with a promise? And do I obey God by following his direction? Or do I stay where I am? The Bible says it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and left his country and left his kindred, left his father's house and went out. And we know by reading the Bible, the story of the family of Abraham, that God did bless his seed. And through him, all the nations of the earth are blessed. And God put many nations out from Abraham. And God fulfilled his side of the promise. Not immediately, but after the passage of time. And uh, uh, this is the way it is. Oftentimes when God gives a promise uh, or gives direction, He gives a promise as well. Now, we received a similar call when, when God put His hand upon us, when God called us, when God put His drawing of His Spirit upon us. That call can be seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, these are... Uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, Wherefore, come out from among them, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The Lord said, Come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is the same call. And, and here's the thing that you've got to catch, or else this doesn't make any sense to you, is that Abraham is a representative of all believers. That's why the life of Abraham is so important. You look at how he was tested, how he was tried, and then you see how we are tested, how we are tried. You see how when God didn't follow up with his fulfillment of, 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 the, uh, of the prophecy fast enough, Abraham tried to help God. He said, I haven't had a baby yet, so I'm going to take this Egyptian handmaiden. My wife's given me instructions. I, sounds like a plan. So we're going to have a child through Hagar, and this is going to be God's promise. He tried to help God. See, we do the same thing. Rather than trusting God, we try to help him. Come along. See, Abraham is a representative believer. He is a type of every believer. Typology in Scripture, so significant. He is a type of every believer. He is the father of the faith, father of us all. So everything that happened in his life is for our understanding. And Abraham's life with God started with a call to come out. And when a person has the Spirit of God come upon them, there is a call that says, come out from among. See, you can't stay the same way that you are. You can't keep living the same way that you're living. You can't keep hanging the same way you was hanging. Something's got to change. Amen. You've got to move out of where you are and become this new creature. And, and see, this principle or concept is lost on popular Christianity. Because when you look at popular Christianity, it's not about people being transformed or transplanted from an old life and from an old mindset and an old attitude and an old approach and look uh, viewpoint on life into a brand new one. What is it? it? It seems to me, and I'm not necessarily just from the outside looking in, I've been inside as well. And, and it seems to me that it's more a case of we're going to leave you like you are, but we're going to take care of the guilt for you. 
We're going to leave you kind of in the same mentality and approach to the world and approach to life and everything. But we want to help you deal with the guilt so you feel okay about it. Popular Christianity, modern Christianity. But the word of God says, come out from among them. Don't stay like you are. Don't stay who you are because somebody said this one time, and it's powerful. I don't care what kind of an encounter you have with God or what kind of religion that you have. If it doesn't transform you, it won't transport you to the other side. It's got to change you. It's got to transform you. It's got to make you a new creature. The apostle said it this way. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So it's like a complete departure from the old ways. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. La luz maravilloso. Amen. The marvelous light. And so everything associated with my old life, in order to step into God's promises i got to step out of it. Mentality, approach, viewpoint, perspective, priorities, values. It's got to change. And if it doesn't, if I hold on to the old life and try to take it on the journey with me, it's going to cause problems. Because you know, some of you may not know this, but Abraham didn't completely obey God immediately. First of all, When he first left the year of the Chaldees, he took his dad with him. And he took his nephew with him. God had said, get out of your father's house. Get out of your kindred. Go to a land I'm going to bless you with. He said, "Ah, okay, sounds good. I'm going to go on a journey. I'm stepping out into the unknown. But I'm taking my dad, Torah, with me. I'm taking my nephew, Lot, with me. And we're going on this journey together. You know what? Some people, they like the idea of having God's favor in their life. And they like the idea of being anointed and blessed for God's purpose. And they like the idea of being a part of something bigger than themselves by embracing the kingdom of God. But they fall into the same trap as Abraham, who is the father of us all and a type of all of us. And they say, I want to go on this journey, but I want to take this stuff with me. I want to take this representation of my old life with me as I go on. On this journey and uh, we know that they were family members and by family members uh, uh, in a representative sense it's not talking about family members but it's talking about connections to our past or things that we're comfortable with from our past uh, that Abraham took with him and when he took Terah with uh, his father Terah with him Terah Terah however you want to pronounce it and went to this land called Haran which is a halfway point between the Ur of the Chaldees and Canaan's land promised land Everybody with me? Still with me? God, I'm going to obey you, but I want to take some stuff with me. I only want to go halfway. Let's just go halfway. Let's kind of ride the fence here. That way I can still be close enough to err, but close enough to your promises and still have surroundings that provide me some comfort. And the Bible says that they wasted time, essentially, in Haran. Haran means parched place or desert. And you know what his dad's, Terah, his his name means Terah? Rachel, you know what it means, don't you? Terah means delay. 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 And it's not until his dad passed away that all of a sudden Abraham gathered his stuff together, received this promise from God and said, okay, I'm going to Canaan's 
land. See, here's the deal. God is calling us to separate ourselves from this world, its mentality, its approach, its values, and be a part of a kingdom that's totally counterculture, that marches to the beat of a different drummer, that is looked at sideways and looked at as being peculiar and looked at as not fitting in. See, that's the problem with Christianity today. It's trying to be relevant. And by being relevant, what does it mean? Something that doesn't seem weird to the world. And I'm going to tell you right now, if your Christianity isn't different or distinct or weird or unique or looked down on by the world, then you have a Christianity that's different than the Christianity of the Bible. You look at the men in the Bible, they were persecuted. They were mocked. They were looked down on. They despised the shame. And I want to tell you right now that if you're going to live for God, you've got to make up in your mind. It doesn't matter if the world makes fun of me. It doesn't matter if the world uh, despises my values. It doesn't matter if the world looks at me sideways. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to listen to his call. I've decided to step out of the norm. I've decided to step out. And, And my old friends might look at me funny. And the people that used to approve of me won't approve of me anymore. And the People used to favor me won't favor me anymore, but I'm stepping into God's favor. I'm stepping into his blessings and I want to make a complete trip in obedience to God's will and to God's word. So it started out with partial obedience, which was partial separation. Not only did he have Terah, his father, but he had Lot, his nephew with him. And he was bringing the old life into his new walk. Bringing the old, it's it's a problem when you try to bring the old life into this new walk. Can I get an amen? It's a a problem if I try to bring my old habits and my old mentality and my old approach to the world and, and my old desires to please man instead of God. Right? The old song says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Amen. I'd rather have him than men's applause. If I try to nurture my addiction to the approval of man and follow God, I'm going to have some problems in the meantime. Amen. Try to keep what was familiar with me. See, that's the problem when Moses took the children of Israel into the wilderness toward the promised land. Whenever trouble came, whenever difficulty came, whenever there was a little bit of unrest, what happened? The Bible says the mixed multitude which were among them that were half Egyptian, half Hebrew, would begin to gripe and complain and say, let's go back to Egypt because they had onions there and garlics and leeks and fish and all these things. And here we out there with nothing but this manna and we're starving and we're thirsty and you brought us out here to die. Oh, I remember Egypt. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what I read in my Bible reading this week. If you're following along, the, 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 the uh, uh, Hebrew people, the mixed multitude compared Egypt to the prom using the very same language that God used to describe the promised land. Egypt is this land flowing with milk and honey. See, it's, it's, it's one thing to get out of Egypt. Egypt, but it's a completely different thing to get Egypt out of you. Amen. And while Abraham left Ur and he left his family, 
He left the trappings. He left the familiar. There was something in him that was still tied and connected. And I want to tell you that the Bible makes it very, 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 very clear that even though Abraham was moving and even though he was practicing partial obedience, it wasn't until the obedience was complete that the favor and blessing began to unfold in his life. Yeah. I don't know if you believe me or not, but let's look what the Bible has to say. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him. Look at that. Let me read that. Sarah, if you're up there, can you bring that verse up? Genesis 13, verse 14. You've got to catch this. Genesis chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, look with me. Finally, finally, here's the deal. Abram and Lot had been together. They've been traveling together. Their herdsmen were striving with one another, fighting with one another. And uh, Abram said, well, God's blessed us with so many herds, we can't continue to encamp together. There's too much stress. So he brought him up to the hilltop and said, Lot, you choose. You go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that that way, I'll go this way. We're going to separate. Everybody say separate. Finally, Abram's going to do what God told him to do and separate himself from his kindred. We're going to separate now. And, of course, we know that Lot chose the favored spot, the well-watered plains of Jordan, which in the valley of which is Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram deferred to the younger, which was, uh, which was counterintuitive during this, this time in this culture. He deferred to the younger, and Lot separated himself. But look what it says. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up, look at this word right here, now, now lift up your eyes. See, if you, if you read the story, but right before this, when God, I'm sorry, when Abram told Lot, you choose where you want to go, the Bible said Lot lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes. He was following the lust of the eye, and he went toward the well-watered plains of Sodom. And when it was separated, finally, finally this obedience is done. God says, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where thou art. I want you to look north. Look as far as you can look north. Now I want you to pivot 180 degrees and I want you to look south. I want you to go 90 degrees and I want you to look east or west. One of the two, I can't remember. And then I want you to look 180. I want you to look all around you, every direction. Verse 15. Because here, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. This is your promised land right here. And to thy seed forever. Look at verse 16. I'm going to give this. And guess what? This promise is still valid today. (laughs) Think about this. Thousands of years later, the descendants of Abraham genetically are still walking around on this land where Abraham had looked north, south, and east, and west. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. This is to a man whose wife is old with no babies. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Verse 17. And arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it. Take hold of it. Take hold of the promises, for I will give it unto thee. I want you to get this 
point is that God told him a long time ago, I've got a blessing for you, but in order to get the blessing, you've got to separate from the old man, separate from the old life, get out of your home, get out of your kindred, get away. It was a delay. There was a lingering. There was problems. But finally, when he separated from Lot, God said, now lift up your eyes, look north, south, east, and west, walk into your promise, take advantage of what I promised you. Come on, somebody. And, and you can watch, you can observe people who live beneath, beneath their privileges. You know, they never step into what God had for them. They never step into the anointing, the calling, the fullness of purpose. Because they want to continue to hold on to those things that are familiar. To hold on to those things that represent the old life. But Abraham as a representative person, a prototype of the New Testament believer with similar struggles and tests and challenges uh, showed us that God's favor is upon the obedient and those who choose to obey the call, those who choose uh, to listen to the call of God, to come out from among this world and its mentality and its approach and it to be separate. Amen. Light hath no fellowship with darkness and he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light he's called us out of corruption into incorruption he's called us out of mortality into immortality I'm not the same person that I used to be I can't stay the same person that I used to be everything about me is changed hallelujah hallelujah as I said with popular Christianity just make it relevant was it really Jesus' plan to leave people in darkness, to leave them unregenerate just to make them feel better? No change. Let's just ease their conscience and help them deal with the guilt. Amen. And the idea of, Abraham, you just stay in Ur or start the journey and take Ur with you, it's a deception. Amen. And it must include abandoning of this world with its attitudes, values, norms, and priorities. And uh, one thing that I've found out in living in this world is that as long as I'm alive, as long as I have flesh, I'm still susceptible to the influence of what the Bible calls worldliness. It's always pulling at me. It's always beginning to find new ways to appeal to me. Do I have anybody else that's, uh, that's honest in the house? It says there's always new things to try to pull me back into the tractor beam of this world and be sucked in by the undertow of the attraction of this world and the things of this world. And uh, uh, we, we must understand that uh, uh, this pressure to fit in, this pressure to be accepted, this pressure to be valued, this pressure to be seen as as uh, legitimate uh, is this desire to be pulled into this world. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to fit in. You'll be hated and persecuted. And the Bible says, count it all joy. Amen. So there's some bad news about the good news. Amen. The good news is Jesus is going to save you. The bad news is people are going to hate you. But you know what? In the end, they're going to love you if you make a way for them to find eternal life. 
real Christians, real believers in this world. It's like oil and water. Man, anybody been like this before? You're in a setting somewhere and things start to happen, conversations start going on, and, and, and people start doing something, and all of a sudden it's like, ee, 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 this doesn't feel right. I'm not comfortable here. And I'm not going to sit and judge these people, and I'm not going to sit over in the corner like a grouch, but something inside of me won't let me stay here. I don't feel comfortable in this setting. I don't feel comfortable in this conversation. I don't feel comfortable, amen, with this mentality and this approach and this criticism and this, uh, this, uh, these, these ideas. I've got to separate myself because I, I, I just feel uncomfortable. I don't, I don't feel at home in this world. I don't feel at home in these, I, the, the, these, these men, mentality and uh, approach to the world. The word church, Jesus Christ said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia is the Greek word. And the church, the, the Greek word for church, ecclesia means, it doesn't mean building. It doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean uh, uh, a bunch of cool people. It doesn't mean a bunch of perfect people. It doesn't mean a bunch of people and a preacher. It doesn't mean a bunch of people and a preacher and a piano player. It doesn't mean a bunch of people, a preacher, a piano player, and offering plates. Uh, church means ecclesia, which is called out ones. Called out. You've been called out of this world. I was just doing my thing and God called me out. And I can't feel at home here anymore. I don't feel comfortable anymore here. I can't, I can't feel comfortable just trying to earn some money. And I, I don't feel comfortable just trying to pay for my house anymore and just trying to do the normal things that everybody's doing and uh, watching the game and drinking my beer and out. It just doesn't fulfill me or satisfy me. There's something inside of me that's drawing and pulling me into a purpose that's bigger than myself. Purpose. That's bigger, bigger than myself. The Bible lets us know that Abraham and Lot were looking for two different things. Even though Lot was basically on a God-inspired journey, he was looking for something different. The Bible says Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And we find out what Lot was looking for. When Lot went to the well-watered plains of Jordan, you can watch the decline of Lot. Let me tell you what Lot represents. Lot represents those Christians who want the best of both worlds. You guys with me? They want to be believers on one hand, but they want to be accepted on the other. Uh They want to be in touch with God, but they want to have the respect of this world. And Lot, let me just share it with Lot started out, this, it started out with the lust of the eye. He lifted up his eyes and he looked. And before long, not only did his herds go that way, but he began to encamp in the plains of Jordan. And then before long, the Bible said that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then before long, as you read the biblical progressions, he is living in Sodom and Gomorrah, the sinful, wicked, flesh-driven city, twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not long after that, his daughters are marrying citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And not long after that, Lot himself is sitting in the gate of Sodom. What that means is he was a city chairman or alderman in the city a highly respected citizen of this defiled, sinful, 
judgment-prepared city. Lot sitting there. Lot who came out with Abraham, who spent time with the father of the faithful. Lot who believed in this one true and living God and saw evidence of him is now living in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, when you flirt with worldliness and flirt with sin, it takes you farther than you intended to go. Always takes you further than you intended to go and end up. And there in the midst of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is sitting Lot. And just for the sake of time, let's go to the end of the story. Lot's story is a tragedy. Because even though he was saved from hellfire, the judgment of God, the uh, smoke and fire and brimstone of God's judgment, he was saved. But he lost his family. His wife turned around and looked back and became a pillar of salt. And so this man who had wealth and land and animals, so much so that he and Abraham had to separate. What happened in the end? In the end, he stuck, cowering in a cave, lost all his possessions, lost his wife and his two daughters, not to be R-rated, but seduced him and had offspring from him. What a sad ending to a story. That could have been so much better. I want to tell you that Abraham was walking by faith while Lot was walking by sight. Somewhere along the way, you've got to deviate from this human tendency to do things under the power of your own influence and under the power of the flesh and based on the mentality and the wisdom of this world. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And I can't explain it. I can't put it into words. But those of you that get it, those of you that have made that step, those of you that have dove in head first, you know what I'm talking about. And there's some people who I'm challenging today to listen to the word of the preacher. If you want God's favor and God's blessing, quit trying to ride the fence. Quit trying to accept the favor of man and try to appease God as well. Somewhere along the way, say, I'm following after him. It's going hook, line, and sinker. I may be mocked. People may be looking at me. It looked like other people are getting blessed while I'm going into the barren land. But God has a promise and a plan for me in one of these days. Come on, somebody praise Him right now. God's given you a promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, I do want to caution, because this sermon title, Not of This World, is that there is a tendency. And that's why God gave you a pastor. That's why God put a shepherd here. Amen. And God can speak to us directly, but sometimes we need somebody who can look into our lives. I, I, I believe that it's impossible to be saved without a pastor. The Bible says, how shall they be saved without a preacher? And the reason is, it's impossible to, it's impossible to be objectively introspective. I say, ooh. That's fancy. What are you talking about? That means you can't look at yourself without bias. Because you look through a filter of all your reasoning and rationalization and justification 
until you look at yourself and it's all cool. But then a man of God can come in that's inspired by God and says, hey, now check it out. There's a problem with that attitude right there. Or you're drifting the wrong direction. Amen. Our shepherd is Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me. And so the, the concern in this world in 2011, I promise you one thing right now. If there's nobody in your life that can jerk your tail and say you're out of line then you're in trouble. Amen. I got people in my life that will jerk me back in line. And I thank God every day that there are godly men who I have put in my life and said, tell me, show me, share it with me. Come on, let me know. Because I can't afford to come under the sway of sin and this world. So I'm a pastor today, all right? I'm a, we'll have an evangelist next week, but I'm a pastor today. And pastor is saying right now, be vigilant, be watchful for your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour. And there is a pull to this world. There is an attraction to this world. There has to be a determination in your heart that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Listen, no turning back. No tur- Hey, l- the song goes on. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No t- hey, you know what else it says? It says, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Hallelujah. 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 Because worldliness is a drift. It's usually not a a full-blown directional choice. It's a drift. It's a drift. Anybody ever played in the surf in the ocean before and you look up and the hotel that used to be in front of you, now it's way over there. Yeah, that's the way it is with worldliness as well. It's a drift. Maybe you're different than me, but I I understand that in my flesh is, is a battle. The Bible says the flesh lusteth against the spirit. The spirit lusteth against the flesh. And which one is going to be the victor? Which one is going to come out on top? There is this constant drift. And here, here's, here's how I applied it to my life. Entertainment warth against consecration and consecration against entertainment. The entertainment of this world. And God help me, I'm preaching to all of us. Myself include the entertainment of this world is where it indoctrinates with philosophy and mentality and values. Values. Until people will miss being in the presence of God for a football game. Or miss 
doing God's will because it will take them away from something that is pleasurable to them in this world and entertaining and titillating to them. See, this is what I'm talking about. It can get a hold of all of us, uh, different areas and different ways, whether it's materialism, the things of this world, the approval of men, uh, acceptation in our peer group, whatever it is, it's the pull of this world. And somewhere along the way, you've got to make up your decision, make your mind up. And Amen. Repentance is a, is a, is a mindset. Amen. It's a change of direction and a change of mentality that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for him, and I am going to walk with Jesus. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 4, check this out. It says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If I am a friend of the world, if I am cool with the world, and the world is cool with me, and we hang, then I'm an enemy of God. Please don't misunderstand this verse. It's not telling us to be judgmental and grumpy. And go around looking down our nose at people. Right? The Bible says we're to be salt and light in this world. We're to be in this world. But when people see us, they ought to see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. People groping around in darkness, lost. Wondering, like, I made more money and it's not making me happy. And I, I tried another relationship and I got into another sexual relationship. I tried this newest drug or I, I, I made, I made another, I made another hundred thousand dollars and I bought this new home and I, I still can't find happiness. And all of a sudden something captures their attention. There's somebody with a smile on their face who's driving an old beat up car and they're happy even though things in their life aren't perfect and it catches their attention. See, it's, it's called light in the midst of darkness. It's called light in the midst of darkness. God didn't call us to be cool with the world. God called us to be distinct from the world so that when the world got thirsty, when the world got hungry, they would know where to look. Hallelujah! 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 Light vanquishes darkness. You can't stay darkness when light begins to shine. Light shines not only from the shiner, but it shines into the light of the darkened. Salt, wherever it is, makes people thirsty. Amen. Hallelujah. There ought to be something about your life that makes people thirsty for what you have. And what you have is living water. Living water. And while they have to keep going back to the well over and over and over again, keep going back to the well of finance, keep going back to the well of materialism, keep going back to the well of sex, keep going back to the well of drugs or, 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 or chemicals, keep going back to the well of approval. You don't have to go back to the well because I got something that will satisfy your thirst salt and light in this world. You're not, you're, you're not of this world. You're in this world to make a difference. Oh, come on, somebody praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 And I want to close 
our time together today by talking for just a few moments about the saddest story in the Bible. The saddest story. I don't want to dampen the mood, but if we're honest, like all the stories in the Bible aren't happy ending stories. But we could say, what's the saddest story in the Bible? What about when Adam and Eve failed the Lord and they were separated from God, cast out of the garden, no longer in paradise, no longer in fellowship, having the curse on the, on the, on the womb in terms of painful childbirth, ground curse, hard labor. That was a sad story. Very sad. But I, I don't think personally it was the saddest story in the Bible. When we talked last week about Cain and Abel, how the, Abel did the right thing. Cain was so jealous, he became angry. And he killed his brother, the very first murder in Scripture. Killed his brother, and there the voice of his brother's blood cried unto God. That's a sad story. But uh, I really don't think it's the saddest story in the Bible. We talked a little bit about the story of Lot and how that he and his wife were brought out of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. The urgency of grace took hold of their hands. His angels grabbed Lot, his wife, and his two daughters them from the city, told them not to look behind, but as they went, Lot looked back. I'm sorry, Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. It's a sad story to see the family leaving behind their mother, their wife, and this picture of a scarred landscape, and there's this white, shining example of Lot's wife. That was a sad story. But not the saddest story in the Bible. What about the story of the death angel that went through the camp of Egypt and in every house it was crying as the firstborn child and every house was slain where the blood wasn't. That was a sad night and a sad story. All sad stories, but I don't think they're the saddest story in all the Bible. In fact, the saddest story in my opinion in all the Bible can be summed up in one verse of Scripture. Second Timothy chapter number 4. Verse number 10 says, For Demas hath forsaken me. It's the Apostle Paul writing to his understudy Timothy. For Demas, right there before that he said, Timothy, get here as fast as you can. I need you. He says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Man, what a sad story that... Here's this man, Demas. We don't know a lot about him. But we do know he's mentioned in the same breath as Mark and Luke, Timothy. These great apostles and men of God who took this glorious gospel message that turned the world upside down. And he was a part of the origin or the genesis of the New Testament church. He was a companion of the apostle Paul, Demas. Demas, no doubt, saw miracles happen. I believe Demas saw blind eyes open. I believe Demas saw sick people raised up from sick beds. I believe Demas saw crippled limbs strengthened, withered hands strengthened. I believe Demas saw lame people get up and walk. I believe Demas saw powerful deliverance of God, God taking men out of prison and delivering them from shipwreck. Demas observed firsthand 
the power of God at work. I believe Demas saw the power of the Holy Ghost work to convict hearts of men and women and see conversions by the fact. He walked with the Apostle Paul. He was his companion. The greatest evangelist missionary that ever lived saw churches planted, saw communities turned upside down by the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, by the gospel message. He was there. He was a part of it. He observed it. Uh, Maybe he was an understudy of, of the Apostle Paul. We don't know. Maybe he was just a young man. And somehow, somewhere along the way, this world got a hold of him. And having put his hand to the plow, he decided to turn back. He hadn't fully counted the cost. And somewhere along the way, this redeemed person, this follower of Jesus Christ and sidekick of the Apostle Paul, fell in love with his present world and departed from the Apostle Paul. Even in the atmosphere of the New Testament church, the swirling birthing of a New Testament church with miracles and supernatural conversions and and the expanse smoldering like a fire throughout the entire world, the influence of the message of Jesus Christ, turning pagans around from their worship of multiple gods, turning Jews from their commitment to the law to a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ, this great world-changing event cut time in half, called caused convulsions in the world of religion and Demas is at the heart and the core of this thing that we're talking about thousands of years later people gathering all over the communities of the United States and the world talking about Jesus Christ and there he was in the middle of that atmosphere and something still got a hold of him and I want to warn you I want to declare to you, I don't want to be negative and I don't want to strike fear in your heart but I want you to recognize that there is an undertow. There is a pull and there is a drift to this world. you got to stand up, make up your mind and say, even though others are doing it, I'm not going to do it. Even though others are going that way, I'm not going that way. Even though others are allowing this, I'm not allowing it. Because I decided, I decided to follow Jesus. I don't know what happened with Demas. Maybe something caught his eye. Maybe Demas got offended, got his feelings hurt. Maybe Timothy was getting too much attention. Demas wasn't getting enough. I don't know. Maybe a girl got his attention that didn't share his passion for Jesus Christ. Maybe he had some influential friends. Maybe he began to resent or despise the fact that Christians, for the most part, during that day were uneducated, poor, And they lacked influence. Maybe he was wrapped up in the all-encompassing passionate sports of that day. and Knew that on his travels, since he didn't have a phone, TV, he couldn't keep up with what was happening. I don't know. I don't know what happened in Demas' life. Maybe his family weren't Christians and were making fun of him. I don't know. Maybe somewhere along the line, some of his old buddies came back to him and said, Demas, you're you're running with a bunch of freaks and radicals. You don't have to be that extreme. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back to Thessalonica. We'll we'll hang out together. Maybe we'll go to the synagogue. We'll be good Jews. We'll be followers of Jehovah. We'll we'll do the right thing. But you you don't have to be that extreme and that radical. I don't know what got into Demas' mind, but somewhere along the way, something pulled him away. From his original call and passion and focus and drive, something sucked him away and pulled him away. And those of us that have been serving God for long, we know the danger of the undertow. 
we know the danger of the undertow. This doesn't take very long. You find yourself losing your footing. Amen. Losing your footing in the power of the undertow. I uh, saw something in the paper the other day. It really got my attention because when, when my wife and I were on our honeymoon, we uh, went to a place uh, called uh, Cabo San Lucas, which is at the uh, southernmost tip of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. And uh, while we were there, it's a very, very beautiful place and probably the most uh, well-known, popular spots is a place called Lover's Beach because it has beautiful, beautiful rock formations and it's where the Sea of Cortez and the Pacific Sea come together and there's this crashing of the two seas in upheaval with each other. And, uh, and some of you, I'm no doubt most of you have seen, whether you knew what you were looking at, a picture of the rock formation it looks like a dinosaur drinking from the water there. And uh, I remember being there in, at uh, this place called Lover's Beach, which is right at that spot. On the one side of this big, huge rock formation is the Sea of Cortez side, and it's called Honeymoon Beach. Then on the other side is the Pacific. The Pacific, and it's called Divorce Beach. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah. And on Lover's Beach, people can swim. On Divorce Beach, nobody should swim. Because the currents are such that the waves and the undertow on the Pacific side, Divorce side, it said it would pull Michael Phelps out to sea, drag him to his death if he got caught in one of the undertows. Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer around today. On the other side, it was placid. On this side, it was aggressive, fierce, masculine. And uh, I read the other day there was a family. Their name was McDougal, and they were from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. In February, they were down there. And uh, the mom and dad in their late 50s, their daughter and son-in-law, and then their grandkids were there playing by the beach. And uh, they were playing on the one side where they're instructed you're instructed not to. I remember they said, stay out of there. <laughs> Don't go in there because that water will pull you away and your wife will be a widow woman. And uh, they were playing there. And a wave came and crashed in unexpectedly, started pulling the family out. The, the, the father, which was the son-in-law of the older couple, I said older and they're only in their upper 50s. Some of you are going to be mad at me. <laughs> Grab, he was able to grab his family. But... Grandma, Grandma McDougal, I think she was 59, was being pulled out. And so her husband went out and tried to rescue her. Long story short, the, the, the undercurrent pulled them right out to their death, right out to their demise. And people were saying afterwards, the relatives, and saying, why weren't they warned? Why didn't someone tell them? Why don't they have signs up? Why isn't it better documented? The power of this undertow and the ability of this to pull a person out to where they never intended to go and to their demise. And uh, as I was thinking about this and looking at the pictures of the ferocious wall of water coming in in, in Japan and, and there and even watching some footage of the waters in the, Pacific, uh, in the Pacific right over here and people being warned to stay out of the waters even though it looks placid on the top there is a ferocious undertow that can drag you out. And I want to tell you something. Those of you 
who intend on your family serving God and have the Joshua spirit that says, as for me and my house, you choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My wife and I, when we were there, even though the water was pretty there and the waves were crashing and it was beautiful, we did as we were told and we stayed out completely out of the waters on the divorce side of the beach. And uh, I want to warn you, don't, don't play, don't, don't wade around and play with worldliness because it has a power to pull, it has a power to get a hold of you. And if you find yourself becoming fascinated or attracted or pulled in the direction of this world, whether it's through hobbies or whether it's through relationships or a quest for approval, a quest for acceptance, and you feel it pulling you, I want to tell you, get out of there quick because there is a spiritual demise that could happen. Amen. A spiritual death to where you're far away from wherever you intended to be and you don't even realize that something has happened. And I know i got some people in the house that can witness and testimony that God's grace and mercy pulled them out. But they saw themselves being pulled out to sea. And, and pastors here today saying, saying, hey, you're in this world. You're in the world. You're in the world. But don't be of this world. Don't be of this world. I stand before you today as, as, as a 38-year-old man with three daughters who says, I want my girls to embrace truth. I want my girls to love Jesus with all their heart. And that doesn't happen just because I say I want it. And that doesn't happen just because I go to church on Sundays. But that happens when I'm intentional. Amen. About putting God first and teaching my kids that we're on a journey. And I want you to go. See, that's something about Abraham that you notice. Abraham made sure his son married the right girl. And Abraham was concerned about these things because he wanted the promise to transfer to the next generation and it doesn't just happen randomly it doesn't just happen because somebody has it in their mind there has to be intentionality because above all else I want to be saved above all else I want God's purpose done in my life I don't want to get off track I don't want to get off track but I want God's divine purpose accomplished in my life let's stand to our feet right now Hallelujah. I want us to pray for a few moments before we leave. I believe it's always in order to respond to the Word of God and apply the Word of God. Now, tomorrow, next, next week when we get together, it's going to be a completely different environment and atmosphere, I'm sure. I, I believe we're going to see some new people filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me share with you today, even with a message like this, I believe God wants to confirm His Word today. And I believe that somebody could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in this place today because God is calling you. God's speaking to your heart. And you've been looking for something real and you found something real. It's all about the Word of God. It's all about truth. It's all about righteousness and living for God. And in just a few moments, I'm going to invite everybody to come up here for just a few moments. You say, well, that's a small area for everybody to come. We'll scoot these 
these rows back. We can come gather around the front. And, and uh, if, you're, if your family's here and it's appropriate, I know your kids are downstairs, but if your spouse is here, grab them by the hand. Let's come up here together and we're going to pray for a few moments and make some dedications and some determinations before the Lord here. I know God's spoken to me on this subject. I know God's put it in my heart. I've done my best to put it into words, and I pray that God's Spirit will do the work right now. In Jesus' name, come on up to the front. much to be said for when the Holy Spirit moves upon us and we encounter the power of God. You, you know what I'm talking about, the goosebumps and the, just a splash of God's presence and power and anointing. And I'm thankful for that. It gets our attention and it pulls us in. But I want to tell you today that I think the most important thing in a Christian's life is, is a made-up mind. Because when temptation comes, a lot of times you're not speaking in tongues when temptation comes. A lot of times when temptation comes, you don't feel the Holy Ghost goosebumps when temptation comes. The only thing that you have to keep you is a decision that you made. Priorities that you established. A mind that you made up. You know, there's power in a made-up mind. When you make up your mind, there is power there. And right now, I wonder if we can kind of affirm some decisions in our lives. If, if you don't want to, if you resent it, you know, what I've said or what I've preached today, I didn't mean to offend anybody, and I'm sorry. Um, but uh, maybe it's not for you. But there are some people in this house that are hungry for what God has for their life, and they want to be right. They want to get it. They want to get it, get it, get it, get it, get a hold of this thing. And I wonder if we could close our eyes right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I pray for this body of believers, men, women, young people, older saints of God. Jesus, we want to be the church, called out ones that have your favor and your anointing and blessing, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. We want to be salt and light in this world, Lord God. We want your anointing to be upon us. We want your favor and your blessing to be upon us, Jesus.
hands all across this place because the Spirit of the Lord is getting ready to fall in the house. Lift up your hands right now in Jesus' name. Presence of the living God. Spirit of God. Oh God, I pray that your Spirit would begin to call. Call men and women, Jesus. Put that call on their heart, Lord Jesus, to follow you. Hallelujah. To put the world behind them. Pursue after you, Jesus. To pursue after righteousness. That's it. Lift up your hands and lift up your voice. Let's just call on Jesus right now. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going all the way. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, make up your mind and confirm it. Stamp it right now. In Jesus' name. Make my decisions. I'm going all the way. Going all the way, Lord. I've drawn the line. Lord, I've drawn the line. I'm going all the way. Lord, I'm going to obey you. somebody to pray with right now. Pray with one another. Hallelujah. Pray with one another right now. Jesus. I pray for this family. I pray for this lady. Pray for this man right now. Hallelujah. Above all else, Jesus, I want to be right with you. I want your favor and your anointing. Everything else is secondary, Jesus. Hallelujah. pray let your anointing fill this house right now jesus we call upon you let the god that answereth by fire let him be god let the fire of your spirit fall in this house in the name of jesus 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 Thank you, Lord, for the change that's happened in my life. Thank you for the newness of the Spirit, Lord God. Hallelujah. Jesus, I'm grateful. Jesus, I'm grateful to you, Lord. Yeah, just lift up your hands. Let the Holy Ghost fall on you. Let the Holy Ghost pour on you. 
Hallelujah. God's got his anointing ready to pour it out. God's got his anointing ready to pour it out, ready to pour it out, ready to pour it out. Oh, 